We're glad that you are with us here today. You're here at a great day. Uh, we kicked off our kids' ministry and nursery again after nearly a year of uh, being away. And so it's awesome to see kids and uh, children in the nursery again. And we praise God for that and uh, just uh, glad that, uh, that he is beginning to open some more doors for us. And uh, excited to have all of you here with us as well. Um, we rejoice in all the people that are with us in our Spanish-speaking service, meeting down the hall. And so uh, just a great day to be here. And on top of all that, we're kicking into a new series. And the new series is called Awaken. Say that together with me. Ready? Awaken. Yeah, and then some of you are like, wait, what? And you just woke up, so congratulations. Uh, yeah, we want to wake up, and here's the best way to do that. We're going to talk about Jesus for the next few weeks. We are just going to simply focus on Jesus from now until Easter. And usually, in a series, we'll sometimes have a, maybe what's called a foundational verse or a portion of Scripture. We'll just kind of you know grab onto it and and hang on to it and, and, and build off of that. This past few weeks, we've talked about unhindered, and we've looked at our thought process and the way that we think and how a lot of times that can hinder us from the grace, the freedom, the goodness of God. Our thinking holds us back, and we've used the scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and we wound up being there like every week for the three, four-week series that we were in. Uh, this time, we're going to be jumping around quite a bit. We are going to look at a number of different pieces of Scripture because the Gospels, of course, are filled with the story of Jesus. And so we are excited about that. And the reason we've entitled it Awaken is, well, first of all, because we're going to end on Easter Sunday. And we're going to talk about the story of Jesus birth. No, no, we're going to deal with the resurrection, okay? And there is an interesting piece of scripture in the book of Ephesians, letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, and in chapter 5, he says, halfway down in that chapter, he says, wake up, you who are sleeping, and arise from the dead. Now, seemingly, you'd say, those are two th different things, man, sleeping and dead, but to Jesus, they were one and the same. Remember that there is an incident where Jesus actually went into a little girl who had, as far as all of the world was concerned, died. And Jesus said, she's not dead, she's just sleeping. Why? Because Jesus had the power to wake her up. Well, here's the deal. There are some people that are going to watch this series. In fact, in our first service, we had a couple people who at the end of the service, they realized that they needed to wake up to a relationship with Jesus Christ, and they accepted him as their Lord and Savior. All God's people said? Amen. Amen. Yeah, that's awesome. That's why we do what we do. So that's exciting. And some people need to wake up to that. But here's the other thing. We're also hoping that in the next few weeks, some people who have been, uh, forgive me using the, technology, uh, the, the genre of the day, but people who have been woke, <laughs> okay, uh, as Christians, all right, you count your relationship with Jesus in decades, not necessarily years, right? But is it not possible that there is some awakening that needs to happen within the church? Is it not possible that there's some awakening that needs to happen within our lives, the lives of people who know Jesus? So we're going to talk about Jesus for the next few weeks. Awesome opportunity for you and me to grow, but also great opportunity to invite people uh, to jump in with us here on our campus or online. Uh, they even give you that tab, I think, at the beginning, those of you that are joining with us online, where you can send out an email or a text or something and invite somebody to jump on. We encourage you to do that because we believe that Jesus can make a difference. And we're excited about offering that opportunity in these next few weeks ahead. So um, today, I just wanted to, to begin by, by talking to you um, about a... Uh, when I was a kid growing up, there, there was a game called Simon Says. Remember that game? How many of you remember that game? Raise your hand. Okay, so you remember that game. And I think they still play it today. We had some kids in the first service. They were like, oh, yeah, Simon Says. Okay, I, I hated that game. Um, and, and here's the reason why. Because whoever Simon was, right, was not the idea to trick as many people as possible and get them out of the game, Right? 
I mean, it's like, you know, Simon says, touch your head. Touch your head. Simon says, touch your eyes. Simon says, hop on one foot. Simon says, rub your belly. And they rub their head. And everybody goes like this. Oh, you're out. And everybody has to sit down. Okay? I hated that game. In fact, I was tempted to have you play today. I was going to be Simon. I thought, this will be fun. Everybody stand up and let's play Simon Says. But I thought, wait, there's going to be some people who feel like you do. Right? And you'll just be like, I mean, even, even if you follow along, two or three times in, you're like, you know what? I'm out. I'm done. Is there any chance that you've ever felt like being a Christian is a big game of Simon Says? Except we just, we just change the word Simon to Jesus. And, and it's this big game of Simon Says, do, 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 do this. And, and the problem is, and, and if you grew up in the church, you probably, you know, you, you could think of some things along these lines. But there were some times that some things were attributed to Jesus and Jesus, if he could speak to us audibly, would be like, I never said that. And we kind, of, we kind of attributed things to Jesus, and he'd be like, that's not me. That's not me. And do, 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 do this, and don't, 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 don't. And seemingly, there were a lot of people who at some point or another just said, you know what, I'm out. <laughs> I can't keep up. I can't keep up with all, and sometimes, you know, it seems like they change the goalposts on me. And then they change the rules. And all the do's and all the don'ts, and, and I just can't keep up. I'm out. And maybe, maybe, that was you. Maybe that was you. You were like, you know what? I, I can't keep up. I'll just sit this one out. And, and if it wasn't you, maybe you know somebody like that. I want to look today as we dive into the story of Jesus to find out exactly what Jesus wanted from us. What is it exactly that Jesus was looking for? And here's, here's, here's what you're going to find out. Jesus was a whole lot more into the game, follow the leader, than he was, Simon says. Now, follow the leader. I could play that game. Because all I had to do was see whoever was out in front of me and do what they did. I didn't have to worry about all the do, 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 and the don't, don't, don't. Just follow the leader. And when you look at the life of Jesus, when you look at the ministry of Jesus, what you find is he was a whole lot into follow the leader. If you've got a Bible, I want you to turn with me to the book of Matthew. And we're going to jump in on Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. If you don't have it with you, but you want to download it, you can do that right here in this auditorium. Go to Uversion, Y-O-U-Version.com, and it'll give you a chance to download Scripture right to your phone. There is no reason and no excuse for us not to have it in this day and age in this place in which we live. If you're online, there's a tab that says Bible. You can hit it and follow along with us as we share with you today from the Gospels. We're looking at the book of Matthew, first one in the New New Testament chapter 9 and I want you to notice what it says we're going to look at three things of what it means to follow Jesus what does it mean to follow Jesus and and here's the first one Matthew chapter 9 verse 9 notice what it says as Jesus was walking along he saw a man named Matthew oh that's interesting this is the guy that wrote the book sitting at his tax collector's booth follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Now, a couple things that you need to understand about context here, okay? 
And, and, and trust me when I say, you can read God's word, and God's word will bless you, and God's word will excite you, and God's word will um, relate to you, and, and, and you will be uh, challenged by God's word. But sometimes it's good to know the historical context. And so when you're reading the Gospels, you've got four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew was writing his Gospel to the Jewish people, which meant what? Jewish people already had faith. Their whole system was built on a faith in God. And so Matthew, as he writes to these Jewish people, he is writing to people who already have some idea, some understanding of what faith is. Matthew is just trying to get them to understand that their faith needs to be placed in Jesus because Jesus was who he says he was. He was the Son of God. So he's writing to this group that already has some established faith. He doesn't go into a lot of detail, does he? He just says, Jesus came along, saw a tax collector, you know, in parentheses, me. That's what he could have said. And he said, Matthew, follow me and be my disciple. What was he saying? He was saying, Matthew, I want a relationship with you. I want a relationship with you. If you come and interact with me, I'll interact with you. If you come along and engage with me, I'll engage with you. Following Jesus is relational. It's relational. Identify with me, Jesus said, and I will identify with you. Why do we give people the opportunity to come to know Christ as their personal savior at the end of nearly every service because Jesus said, hey, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my father who is in heaven. I want a relationship with you. I don't want the rituals. I don't want the religion. I want a relationship, Matthew. Why don't you follow me and be my disciple? And Matthew says, I'm in. Now, you have to understand, and we're going to talk about this in just a couple minutes, Jesus already has a few followers. And the followers that he has, pretty good chance they've paid some taxes to uh, Matthew. Okay? And so you're not going to get this, especially from Matthew's side of the story, but my guess is that behind the scenes, there's some guys going, wait a second, did he just ask what I think he asked? Did he just say that to this guy? Is this guy going to be one of us now? And Jesus was all about the relationship and not about the ritual or the religion. It's interesting that when Jesus comes along, he refers to God as a heavenly father. He tries to personalize the relationship. There are times when Jesus refers to himself as the vine, and he says, you, you, you guys are, you're the branches. You get all of your nourishment, you get all of your strength, you get all of what you need from the vine, from me. But you are branches, you are my representatives, you are the ones that I'm counting on to bear some fruit. And then, just to make sure that he was getting that illustration across to everyone, he said, let me give it to you another way. I am the, I'm the good shepherd. And you're my sheep. And then he would go so far as to say, my sheep hear my voice and they know me. And they follow me. In fact, Jesus would say, I, I, I even know my sheep. I call them by name. Relationship. Did you know that in Jesus' day, 
it was shepherds. In fact, this might have even been the case in Bethlehem. We don't know. It's possible, you know, that they had everybody come over and they drew straws or they played rock, paper, scissors, and some guy, you know, he was out and so, all right, you stay with the sheep. We're going to Bethlehem. I don't know. But we do know that in Bethlehem, it was a hub because there were a lot of shepherds in the area and sometimes they'd have to come in and do dealings in town, sometimes there'd be one shepherd with just a few sheep. They would bring the sheep into town, and they would leave the sheep in this kind of pinned-in area, and they would leave them with someone who would watch them. They'd take care of the sheep, but sometimes you'd have more than one shepherd's sheep in that pinned-in area, right? And so then the shepherd comes to get his sheep, and he's like, Okay, that one and that one. I don't know. They're sheep, right? You want to know how he'd get them? He named the sheep. And when he would call the sheep by name, the sheep, especially if he was a good shepherd, they'd go right to him because they knew he's the one that took care of me. He's the one that beat off that bear. He's the one that beat off that wolf. He's the one that led us to a pasture where we had plenty to eat. And they would follow him because he would know them by name. Listen, being a follower of Jesus is relational. And part of the problem that people have is when they try to figure out what does this all mean? All the do, 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 and the don't, 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 and I gotta follow this, and I gotta follow that, and I gotta do this, and I gotta do that, and they're following all these rules, and all of these regulations, and all of these rituals, and so did the Pharisees. And Jesus was like, yeah, you don't get it. I want a relationship. And so he goes by a tax collector, he says, hey, come on. Now, here's the deal. The story gets worse. Notice the very next verse. It says, later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and, catch this now, other disreputable sinners. Come on now. Do you understand what's happening? You got the tax. They're in their own category of sinner, okay? They just, here's the tax collectors, and then here's all the other disreputes. All the other disreputable sinners. And tax collectors were like known as the worst of the worst. Why? Because they had to pay Caesar a certain amount. And the way they lived was by collecting whatever they could above and beyond the amount that was owed to Caesar and the government. And as long as the government got their share, they didn't care what they charged. And they would overcharge and they would gouge the people and they lived high off the hog. And the other people couldn't stand the tax collectors. And they kind of get lumped into their own category. And then he also, his other friends were all these other disreputable people. And he says, Jesus, would you come to my house? And Jesus comes with his disciples. Remember now, these guys haven't been with Jesus that long. Don't you think that behind the scenes they're like, I'm not sure my mom allows me to go into this house. I'm not sure I can go in here. And Jesus says, come on, we're having dinner. And the Pharisees saw this. And they asked his disciples, again, you know, these guys are like, I don't know. Jesus, they say, why does your teacher eat with such scum? <laughs> well, way to sugarcoat it, guys. Okay? They just, it's almost like they couldn't help themselves, right? Do you have those moments? Huh? You're like, I know I shouldn't say this. I can't help myself. I know I shouldn't ask this, but I just can't help myself. That was the Pharisees. They just couldn't help themselves. Why does he eat with such scum? And the disciples, <clears throat> at this point in time, the disciples that he had were probably like, we're not sure. <laughs> I mean, it hasn't been that long. Jesus overhears this. So from his kind of reclining, imagine Jesus is reclining at the table, okay, and he overhears the Pharisees, and so he kind of yells out to them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Now imagine, all the people at the table are like, yeah, yes, wait a second, 
Are we the sick people? Healthy people don't need a doctor. People who don't think they need a doctor don't need a doctor. Sick people need a doctor. And they might have been like, hey, is that us? And then at some point they were like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> Can I tell you something? We're all sick. We all got issues. And here's the deal. If you don't think you have any issue, there's your issue. I'm just throwing that out to you, okay? That's like, that's like asking people to raise their hand if they're a control freak and people saying, I ain't raising my hand for nothing. Just proving they're a control freak. Yeah, we've all got some issues, okay? And the more readily we understand that and realize that, the better it is that Jesus came. Jesus is like, hey, uh, yeah, I know you guys don't think you need any help. That's all right. I didn't come for you. I came to those who need the help. And then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And, and, and listen now, listen, listen, listen. Some of you, you count your relationship with Jesus in decades, not years. Listen, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we can easily become an us and them. And we can live in that atmosphere. And we could kind of huddle ourselves together and talk about how well we behave and what we believe. And Jesus yells out, hey, <laughs> I didn't come for all of you who think you're all that. I came for those who realize they need help. And, and I came to have a relationship with them. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. If, if somehow you've maybe been into a church or you've experienced a church or you've experienced a Christian, maybe that's your experience online too. Some of you probably just checking this out because the last time you were in a church, it was like bad news. Be because th there are those times, unfortunately, when people can come in and somehow, some way, they don't feel loved and they don't feel accepted and they don't feel worthwhile and they don't feel can I tell you listen that's on us not Jesus that's not Jesus here's the second thing we got to move along here I took way too long in the first service I'm just giving you that warning so I'm gonna try to move through a little faster all right following Jesus is not just relational if it's relational following Jesus is emotional Following Jesus is emotional. It's not a robotic experience. What relationship do you have where you just go through the motions? That's not much of a relationship, is it? Following Jesus is emotional. Watch this now. Prior to Jesus' encounter with Matthew, he called some of these early disciples. The early disciples that he calls were a guy by the name of Peter, his brother Andrew, a guy by the name of James, and his younger brother John. And these guys were fishermen. Now, Matthew, again, remember the context. Matthew is talking to Jewish people who already have an idea of faith and understanding, okay? He's trying to move them to an understanding of Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah. And that's where they place their faith. But he's writing in this context, so he's, he's, just, he's just precise. He doesn't give you a lot of detail. Matthew chapter 4, this is what he says about Jesus' encounter with Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Jesus was walking along the shore, and he looked out, and there were a couple of fishermen, Peter and Andrew. They were cleaning their nets. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish, fish for people, or fish for people, fish for people, and they left their nets 
at once and followed him. Did you catch that? Jesus just looked out and yelled, hey, follow me. And they dropped what they were doing and dropped their nets and immediately followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called them to come too. And they immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. There were so many Saturday mornings when I was growing up and my brother and I would be working and I would be like, Jesus, come and call us away from our father. <laughs> Drop the rake. See you, Dad. We're following the guy with the sandals. You'd look at that and you'd be like, wow, man, they left Dad with a lot of work, seems to be, and just, you know, that's not real cool. And that, that text will preach. It's a, good, it's a good preaching text. You know, Jesus said, come, and immediately they dropped their nets and away they went. If Jesus is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. And some people are like, I'm out. <laughs> I can't do it. That's because Matthew doesn't quite get into the details of the story. But if you read the Gospel of Luke, Luke was a doctor. And Luke gives to us some details of the story. Luke did his own research. And in fact, he probably got this story from a real good friend of his by the name of Peter. Luke is writing to Gentiles. You're like, who are the Gentiles? Anyone who's not Jewish, okay? They just, here's the Jewish, and then everyone else is a Gentile. And that's who Luke is writing to. When you read the book of Acts in the New Testament, it's the whole story about the beginning of the church, and it shares the story a lot of Paul's journeys. That's Luke. He's writing that book. In the Gospel of Luke, we see these details of this approach that Jesus had with these four guys. Luke chapter 5 verse 1. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stop right there. Do we not already have a lot more detail? Jesus, this isn't just a stroll, you know, I think I'll go for an early morning walk. Hey, you guys, come on. No, Jesus is at the shore, and there's a whole big crowd, and they continue to come. And Jesus is preaching and teaching. And there's four fishermen. There's probably even more than that, but these four are singled out, and they are cleaning their nets. Why would they be cleaning their nets? Because they're done fishing. You fished at night. That's when you caught the fish. And then in the morning, when the sun came out, you'd clean the nets, you'd bring in the hull, you'd go back home, you'd grab some breakfast, you'd get a few hours of sleep, and you'd start the whole process over again. So fishing is over, and they're cleaning their nets. And as they're cleaning their nets, this guy's teaching. And then it says that Jesus asked Simon, who's Peter, he said, hey, you mind if I get in your boat and we shove out just a little bit? I think I might be able to, I think I might be able to get across to more people that way. And so Peter says, yeah. He pulls the boat out a little bit and Jesus continues teaching. And Peter and Andrew and James and John are cleaning the nets and listening to Jesus and cleaning and listening and cleaning and listening. When he had finished speaking, it says in verse 4, he said to Simon, Peter, now go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Peter says, Master. What's he doing there? What he's doing is being polite, okay? Some of you a little older, if you were trying to be polite, you might say, good sir. <laughs> okay? He's just, he's trying to be polite with this guy because he's listened and it's been very intriguing what he has heard and what he has said, but he's done cleaning the nets, okay? It is time for some eggs. No bacon, but eggs. He's hungry, he's tired. And Jesus says, why, why don't we go out and why don't we throw your nets out a little deeper? Good sir. trying to be polite, right? 
Like when you hear something from somebody older than you maybe and you just, you want to be polite, you know, and you just nod your head. Yes. He says, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. What's he saying? Bad night, man. No fish biting. But then Peter says, but if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. If you say so, I'll let the nets down. Do you realize how much hangs in the balance with how Peter responds to that question? Think about it. Think about what hangs in the balance. With Peter's response to that question, will you go out a little farther? Peter, I'm not asking you to do something you haven't done before. I'm just asking you to do a little differently than you've done it before. Peter says, you know what? I'll go out for you. And so he casts out. And this time the nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. The nets are tearing, they're so full. Okay? A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. Hmm, who could that be? James and John. And their dad, they bring their boat over. And soon... Both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. And this isn't in there, but I just have a feeling that Jesus is just busting. I mean, he is just laughing. This is just so incredible. Because why? If people would just realize that when they do what I ask them to do, there's so much more that's available to them. And Jesus is just laughing. And these guys are trying to haul this. They don't know what to do with it all. And soon both boats are filled with fish. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and he said, Lord, please leave me. Totally different, isn't it? First one, it was kind of like, good sir, trying to be polite. Master, right here. Just a few minutes later, he drops to his knees and he says what? Lord, there's a book in the Bible called Romans. And in chapter 10, verse 13, Paul writes this small little verse and says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Why? Because Paul had experienced that. Paul had been on the road to Damascus. Paul, steeped in sin, steeped in the persecution of those who call on the name of Christ, steeped in the persecuting of the early church, he's on his way to Damascus to arrest and maybe even kill some of those who call themselves Christian. And while he is walking along, a bright light shines down from heaven, and he is struck with blindness, and the voice, which was the voice of Jesus himself, calls out to him and says, Saul, Saul, what are you doing? And at that moment, he cried out, Lord. And as he looks back on that experience, Paul would say to us, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Because Paul would say, you know what, it was in that moment where my life was changed and my life was transformed because I realized it wasn't a person that was talking to me, it was God himself. And at that moment, I believe that Peter's life was transformed. He dropped to his knees and he said, Lord, Lord, please, please leave my boat. I don't deserve you to even be in here. If you knew what I'd done, if you knew where I've been, if you've known the decisions I've made, I am too much of a sinner to be around you. As he, also, he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. And Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Well, duh. A little more than what Matthew shares with us, in it, isn't it? Come on, follow. Okay. No, 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 no. Luke gives us the details of the story. What happens? Jesus met them right where they were. He said, I'm not looking for you to do anything that you haven't done before. I'm just looking for you to do it a little differently. And if you'll do it with me in the boat, I can make a pretty big difference. I can make a pretty big difference.
And notice all of the emotions, right, that are in that story. I mean, at first, Peter is polite, right? He's like remembering all the things his mother taught him. And then Peter is probably like, whatever. You want to go out, we'll go out, okay? My wife is going to be mad at this because she's already got breakfast on the table. I'm going to be late. And then he throws it out, and then there is what happened. Because he pulls on the nets, and he can hardly get them in. And then there's all these fish, and there's this excitement and the amazement. And then, and then there's a realization. Something's going on here. This man's different. And there's a realization of who he is compared to Jesus. All of these emotions. And then Jesus says, don't be afraid. I want you to follow me. Follow me. There is no emotion without relation. Can I say that to you again? There's no emotion unless there's relationship. But if you feel like you have a relationship with God and there is never any emotion, oh, I know that I've gone from preaching to meddling and I'm about to step on some toes, but I gotta ask you, has there been a relationship? Has there ever been that moment when you have cried out to him like Peter did and said, Lord, I'm unworthy of you because I'm such a sinner? Or is it possible that, that, well, you know, going to church, it's just what you do. That's what my grandparents did. It's what my parents did. So every once in a while, that's what I do. And Jesus is like, no, it's, it's not about ritual and it's not about religion. If it was, let me tell you, who would be the big winners? These guys called the Pharisees. Instead, they were on the outside looking in because I'm here to build a relationship and they never wanted that. So I'll go to these guys, these fishermen, and ask them to follow. And they did. And I... Listen, we're, we're going to get into it. In fact, our last point, and we'll cover it quickly, and we'll be done. It's not all about emotion, okay? So please, don't, don't get me wrong, all right? And, and, and I know that there can be some people who get way too on the emotional side of things, all right? And then it can be all kinds of, you know, and you, you're like, I don't want to be fake. I don't want to be, I understand that. But I'm trying to think, we've been married over 30 years, and I'm trying to think of what kind of relationship would it be if there was absolutely no emotion between the two of us. I think at one point, me or her would have said, I'm out, I'm out of the game. Instead, you have two, and this can be unique, fairly emotional people. Huh? Did you ever get in an argument with your spouse? I'm thinking you probably have at some point. What is that? It's emotion. It's all right. Now, the scripture says, you know, let's not, let's not go to bed angry. And we do that once in a while, don't we? Don't, don't let the sun go down in your wrath. Let's, you know, but, but hey, we get angry. We have emotion. We have sadness. We have excitement. Huh? We experience all that in all of our relationships. Why? 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 And I preach to myself on this. Why in the world would I get more excited about five guys on an ice rink, 11 guys on a football field, one of whom is going to make more money than I'll make in my entire lifetime? And I will jump up and down and get all excited. And in the things of God and the things of Jesus, we just kind of sit and, good luck blessing me today. It's ritual. It is religion. And it's pharisaical. 
And if you're not careful, you will become the exact people. Oh, I'm getting wound up again. I keep swearing to myself I'm not going to do that. If you're not careful, you'll become the exact people that Jesus said, nope. Because we think it's all about the Simon Says. And I did Simon Says far more better than you did. All right, I got I to gotta move on. Do you know what I'm saying, though? You see what I'm saying? It's just, we, we get so... We get so excited at things that in light of eternity just don't mean a hill of beans. And the things of God, it just, it, it almost takes a mountain moving in our sight for us to get excited about it, for us to think it's, it's okay to clap, it's okay to, to raise my hand and praise. Why don't more of us raise our hands in praise and worship? When I was in school, the teacher said, if you know the answer, raise your hand. I know the answer. What about you? And, and that's just, that's, that's a simple thing. I am just saying, praise and worship. Listen, praise and worship, for some of you, it needs to be more than 15 minutes on a Sunday. There, there's a radio station. I'm going to give a plug online. They really need to pay me. Um, I, think, I think it's called Smile FM. I think that's it. And they had a great little commercial for a while. I don't know if they keep playing it or not, but it says, you know what? Listen to us for a month. Give us a month. See if your attitude changes. What are they saying? Fill your mind and your heart with some worship of somebody who wants a relationship with you, somebody who loves you enough they were willing to die for you, someone who comes along to your life and says, hey, look, I'm not asking you to stop. I'm not asking you, you know, well, I'm not, this message is not about you going in tomorrow and submitting your resignation. I quit. I'm following Jesus. No. He just says, I want you to do it a little differently. Let me in the boat. Let me be part of when you go to work. Let me be part of your relationships. Let me be part of when you go to school. Let me be part of you playing on that team. Don't stop doing it. Just do it a little differently. All right, last point. Following Jesus, and this is important, <clears throat> since I just got all emotional. Following Jesus is more than emotional. Following Jesus is devotional. There does have to be something beyond the emotion, doesn't there, right? Because here is the deal. If you were to have a sit-down talk with my wife... I think you're going to find this hard to believe. But if you were to have an honest heart-to-heart -heart with her, she would say that on at least a couple of occasions, she has wished she hadn't gotten married. Okay? Can you believe it? Have you ever had that kind of a day? Where you're like, <laughs> that husband. Oh, that wife, I wish I... Have ever been a day... Oh, children, plug your ears. Ever been a day where you're like, you know what, I'd have been better off if we wouldn't have had kids? Huh? I'm thinking maybe there's been at least a day. Has there ever been the day when you woke up and said, I am so sick of this job. I do not want to go to work. But yet here's the deal. You stayed married. You kept being a father or a mother and you went to work. There may have even been a day when all three of those happened at the same time for you. You just kind of felt like checking out, but you kept at it. Why? Because there has to be more than just emotion, doesn't there? There's got to be some devotion. So in John chapter 6, Jesus, again, you just need to read the chapter. It's an awesome story. But you read John chapter 6, and you read where he fed thousands of people. This little boy had a lunch. That's all they had. And the disciples were like, we need to send these people out of here because, well, to be honest, we're hungry, and we'd like to eat, and we can't eat till they eat, so get them out. Jesus is like, what do you got? They bring him a little boy's lunch. He multiplies it and feeds everyone, and they wind up having 12 baskets of leftovers, one for each disciple. Gets to the end of the day, feeding, miracles, healing, teaching, awesome day. Jesus said, you know what? I'm a little tired. Let's go to the other side. You guys get on the boat. I'll meet you over there. Another interesting experience happens while they're out on 
the boat, okay, big storm. They experience Jesus again out on the water. Read it. It's awesome. But they get to the other side, and guess what happens? They get off the boat, and here's all these people. <laughs> they followed us. And Jesus is like, hey, I'm so glad you're all here, but let's be honest. Most of you are just looking for the free meal, okay? You loved the, the, the filet of fish yesterday, and you'd like another one. And, and, and I'm, I'm all about that. I'm, I'm good with feeding you. I'm glad you came. But here's the deal. I've got more than that. I've got something that if I can, if you'll allow, I can give you that will feed your soul. It'll make a difference in your whole being, not just subside your hunger pain. It'll subside your life pain. And he shares with them how he is the bread of life. And how he's not just the bread of life for this life, but actually if they'll put their faith and trust in him, he'll, he'll give them life that goes beyond the grave. And some of them are like, yeah, isn't this uh, Joseph's son? I mean, he made a nice table for me a couple years ago, but what in the world? And the Bible says in John chapter 6, verse 66, that... They bugged out. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are you also going to leave? And Peter, remember him? The guy in the boat? Peter said, Lord, to whom do we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. It takes more than just emotion. The emotions of the day before, awesome, incredible. But now here's a day where the rubber's kind of meeting the road and Jesus is saying, look, if you really want to be a follower of me, it's not just about free food. You have to feed your soul. And I can do that. I can help with that. I can make that happen. In Ecclesiastes, uh, Solomon writes this book, and he writes it after pretty much dabbling in everything that the world has, has to offer, and he's come up pretty empty. He, he is the world's wisest man, but in a number of areas, he, he, he fell short of, of God's mark for him. And he, he writes this book of Ecclesiastes, and in chapter 3, you've probably heard it. In fact, some have written songs about it. And he says, for everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die. He gets down near the end of this little passage where he talks about all this stuff, time to plant, time to harvest, you know, all this kind of thing. And he, he says, so I concluded there's nothing better than to be happy and enjoy ourselves as long as we can. Don't worry. Be happy. Sorry, had to throw that in there. I concluded there's nothing else, so just, you know, eat, drink, be merry, tomorrow you die. And he spirals down in this passage so much so by the time he gets to verse 19, this is what he says. For people and animals share the same fate, both breathe, both must die. So people have no real advantage over the animals. How meaningless. <laughs> What's wrong? What's wrong is he's trying to live on just emotion. And when I don't get my satisfaction from this or from this or from this or from that person or this girl or this amount of wealth or this building, when the emotion is gone, there's nothing there. How meaningless. He's trying to live on emotion. You can't do that. It's a part of following Jesus. If none of it exists, we've got to kind of stir that up a bit. But you cannot live on emotion because there will be days when it's like, I'm out. Don't forget that Jesus was criticized. Remember, he's criticized for hanging around with the scum in Matthew. And his response was, those who are well do not need a physician but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. 
I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, here's the deal. We can tell people, we can, we can share with people how they are living in their sin, how they have failed, how they could do better. But for the most part, all that's going to do is discourage people. I remember somebody coming to me at the end of a service just shortly after I began pastoring. And he said, you know, I went to church back when I was a kid, and it just seemed like the pastor was always saying, banging me over the head for about 30 minutes. And then at the end, he would say, now God loves you. Go tell somebody about Jesus. What was going on? Whole, a whole game of Simon Says. Instead of follow the leader. And the problem is that when people are discouraged, they just continue to fail because they just, well, at least I can have that emotional experience for a short time. It makes me feel a little better, even though I feel worse when I come out of it. And here's the thing. Most people that you know that you could effectively make a difference in their life for Jesus, most of those people are already well aware of their failures. They really are. They don't need to be reminded of their failures. They need to be reminded of God's forgiveness and his invitation to follow. And if we would remind them of that, if we would share that, if we would live that and then just get out of God's way, what kind of a difference would it make? Instead of trying to play some game of Simon Says where well, you got to do this, you got to do that, and you got to do this, you got to do that, and you got to do this, I'm out. And, and trust me, I'm not saying that you dilute sin. No, the wages of sin is death. Praise God for conjunctions. Conjunction, junction. What's your function? Well, in Romans 6.23, it's eternal life. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Romans chapter 2, verse 4, even Paul says, you surely don't think much of God's wonderful goodness or his patience and willingness to put up with you. Don't you know the reason God is so good? It's because he wants you to turn to him. And God's kindness needs to lead us to repentance, but it also needs to lead us to endeavor to bring others to follow him. We look at following Jesus as a sacrifice, and it is. Jesus said, take up your cross, but here's the deal. Jesus knew, you're going to take up something. And if you take up the cross, I have so much more to offer you, so much more to do for you, so much more to give to you, so much to do through you, if you'll just take up the cross. If you don't take up the cross, you're going to take something up. And the reason he got so mad at the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious hierarchy of that day is because they were simply putting more and more burden on the people and not giving them any escape or any way out. Simon says, Simon says, Simon says, Simon says, and they just, you know what, I, I, I don't even, I, I'm out by myself. And Jesus comes along to say, look, I've got a new way of doing things. Follow me. A different perspective. That's his attitude. A different presence. His Holy Spirit. A defining purpose. His love. The Pharisees came along to say, hey, change, and then you can join us. Jesus came along. Catch this now. Oh, we have a hard time with this, and sometimes we have a hard time because of the narrative we bring. Jesus comes along and says, you know what? Join us. Then you'll change. Join us. Then you'll change. And listen, I, I don't want to dilute your passion or anything like that, but, but we need to understand the salvation of our nation, the salvation of the world comes only through one man, and his name is Jesus. And we can try to legislate and appropriate 
but we're never going to get it. Because Jesus said, follow me. And is it not possible that, that sometimes we, we want people to change, and, and we might not even say it out loud, but even in the way we react or act towards people in general, are we not in a sense saying, oh man, if, you, if you'll just change, then you come join us. And Jesus is like, no, you got it backwards. Let me in, and then you'll change. Let me in and then you'll change. And it, it takes a while sometimes for that to get through. That, that takes a while for it to get through to my heart. I mean, I, I was saved out of the muck and mire of the sandbox. Okay? That's as dirty as it got for me. So if you come to know Christ at age six, <laughs> Jesus says, let me in the boat. I'll make the changes. Let's try it his way. Let's follow Jesus. So my question is, and we close with this, what's that mean for you? What's it mean for you? What, what's it mean for you to follow Jesus? When you look at not all the do's, not all the don'ts, not how, how you're doing at following Jesus. Where are you at? For some of you, the next step for you would be just Come back next Sunday. That's, that's a step. That's just, okay, that's, I just need to, for some of you, you need to get into God's word. You need to grab it. It's so available. You can take it on your phone. And just, I, I, again, I've told you, I know, and some people are like, oh, that's so simple. Read a chapter a day. Just a chapter a day. Start with Paul's gospels in the back of the New Testament. Read a chapter a day. At the end of the week, all of a sudden, you've read two books of the Bible. And for some of you, that'll be two books more than you read last year. Maybe you need to change the atmosphere. So throw on Smile FM or something. Find something that you like to listen to on Sirius that gets some worship in your heart and in your head during the week, not just on Sundays. For some of you, maybe it's giving. You are just, you know, I want him to be God of everything. He's not God of my checkbook, though, is he? He doesn't have to run that. Maybe you just need to trust him a little more in that area. But maybe for some of you, maybe for some of you, the first step for you is to actually ask him to come into your heart. Forgive your sin and be your savior. Let the change start there. And let's follow Jesus. Bow your heads together with me in prayer. If that's you today, whether you're here with us on our campus or if you're online with us, watching from home, wherever you're viewing from, I want to ask you today, has there ever been the moment when you have invited Christ to come into your heart and be your Lord and Savior? If not, today can be that day. This can be that moment for you. When you say yes to Christ, he will come in, he will forgive you, he'll begin a relationship with you. The Bible tells us that old things will be passed away, all things become new. And if that's you, if you want to know today that Christ lives in you, that someday you'll live with him in heaven, you want to know that your sins are forgiven, I want to simply ask you to pray this prayer in your heart after me. You don't need to say it out loud, he'll hear you. But if that's you, I want you to simply pray this prayer, Lord Jesus. I do believe you love me. And I believe you came and died and rose again for me. Come into my heart. Forgive my sin and save me. I make you the Lord of my life. With our heads still bowed in prayer, if today you're here and you prayed that prayer, would you just quietly, quickly, just slip up your hand and put it down and say, yeah, that's me today, Billy. I prayed that prayer. I invited Christ to come into my life. Just slip it up and put it down. That's me today. I prayed that prayer. I invited Christ to come into my life. If you're watching with us online, there's a tab that's appeared on your screen that says, today I accepted Christ. Would you just hit that tab? Just hit that button. We're, we're not even going to know your name right now, but God does. 
And you can rest assured that before the afternoon is over, I will be praying for you and thanking God for the decision you just made. Father, thank you for meeting with us here today. Thank you for inviting us on an epic journey to follow you. Lord, when we look at the disciples and the lives that they led up until they began to follow you and the difference you made in their lives, it's unreal, Lord, when you peel back the layers and see they were like us until you made the difference. And then they became world changers. So, Father, help us to realize that for a lot of us here, you're not asking. You're not asking that people stop doing, being. You're asking, let me in the boat. Do it a little differently. Follow me. So may we, no matter where we're at in our journey with you, may we endeavor to follow more closely than we ever have before. Thanks for meeting with us here today in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.